God, let these words be more than words. Give us the spirit of Jesus. Amen. Please be seated. Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. These words were surprising to the crowds that had gathered in Jericho. Jesus and his disciples were passing through on the road from Galilee to Jerusalem. And Jericho is a desert city, an oasis fed by springs, the last stop on the way before climbing up to Jerusalem. And Jericho was an important center of both commerce and agriculture. Zacchaeus was a wealthy and powerful man. He'd found a role as the representative of the occupying force, the Romans. In the eyes of his own people, he had betrayed them. He collected taxes for the emperor, and in the minds of his people, his wealth probably meant he was keeping some back for himself. He was cheating his neighbors. Zacchaeus was a criminal, a traitor, and a sinner. Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. We know the crowds were upset. He has gone to be the guest of one who is a sinner. I wonder how Jesus' followers felt. And Jesus' welcome had caused problems before. He spent time with lepers, the possessed, folks on the edge of society we today might diagnose with schizophrenia. Jesus talked with women, with Samaritans, and sometimes even Samaritan women. Jesus spent time with the lost, the least, and the left out. But Zacchaeus? Really, Jesus? I wonder whether sharing a table with Zacchaeus was difficult for some of Jesus' closest friends. I wonder if this ragtag group made up mostly of fishermen and laborers knew how to sit down with the powerful, wealthy, and disliked figure. Would they know which fork to use first? I wonder whether they had their minds already made up about him, like the crowd, about people like Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. Jesus' words are a shock to the system. At Jesus' table, there is a seat for everyone. Everyone. Samaritans, tax collectors, women, the poor, Democrats, Republicans, pro-lifers, pro-choice folks, Catholics, Presbyterians, Lutherans. Heck, there's even room for Episcopalians. Jesus' table has room. Jesus' table has seats for LGBT people and the people Archbishop Desmond Tutu refers to as so-called straight. All sinners and saints are welcome at Jesus' table. This is hard. Jesus' welcome is a challenge to us. We live in a world that is better at division than inclusion. We are living through a season of bitter partisanship. Eight years ago, many of us hoped that our nation was coming together. At the election of President Obama, there was a sense that we could overcome what divides us. This week in the New York Times, there was an editorial by Caitlin Greenidge about our divided nation. In it, she used a phrase that stuck in my mind as she described what happened after that election eight years ago. 
She said that since then, this is the quote, the naivety has soured. The naivety has soured. Has hope soured? Is our country irredeemably divided? Are we destined to stand in opposing camps, to always look across and see those people? Jesus would tell you, don't drink that Kool-Aid. The prophet Habakkuk is instructed by God this morning to write the vision. The vision. Write the vision, God says. Make it plain on tablets so that the runner may read it. For there is still a vision for the appointed time. It speaks of the end. It does not lie. If it seems to tarry, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. Write the vision. Give the people hope. Jesus' hope this morning is simple. It's profound and challenging. See one another. Embrace those people. Find our common humanity. Find God's presence in the other. It may seem hard this season. I mentioned Archbishop Tutu. Many of you know the history of the man who is probably our denomination's most famous member. Bishop Tutu was awarded the Nobel Peace Prize in 1984 for his work against apartheid in South Africa, the racist legal framework of separation between black, white, and colored people. For decades, Bishop Tutu advocated for the release of Nelson Mandela from prison. And in 1990, Mandela spent his first night of freedom in the home of the archbishop. It came as a surprise to Mandela when Tutu refused to join his political party, the African National Congress. But Bishop Tutu felt that he could not, as a church official, as a public disciple of Jesus, publicly identify with any party, even Mandela's. Talk about refusing partisanship in what seems like a black and white case. But the decision served Desmond Tutu and the nation well. His independence gave him credibility when the government later tasked him with leading the South African Truth and Reconciliation Commission. He had the power with his committee to grant amnesty to those who confessed to their crimes during apartheid and the protest movement. For Bishop Tutu, his conviction came from his faith. It came from Jesus. He regularly preaches that for God, there are no outsiders. There is a seat for everyone. There's even a seat for the person who used their power to persecute their neighbor. Jesus' table is scandalously open. At Holy Communion, we spent most of last year discerning the three values that define our church. Welcome diversity, and community. I don't think there's a mistake that welcome is the first value. When we asked people one-on-one -on -one over coffee, in gatherings, in members' homes, at picnics in the park, when we asked, why did you stay at Holy Communion? The most frequently mentioned word was welcome. That value goes back to the very beginning for Holy Communion. Those pews that you're sitting in they have an important history. They are some of the first free pews west of the Mississippi. 
1869, when Holy Communion was founded, the most common way of raising the money needed to run a church was to rent the pews. Holy Communion's first chapel was financed this way. But when the original church was built in 1877, the vestry at the urging of our first rector, Dr. Robert, whose portrait hangs over the fireplace in our lounge, they declared that the pews at Holy Communion would be free. When pews were rented, they were a status symbol. In some churches, you even got a little key to open the lock on your pew. You can still visit churches back east, and they have the fancy box pews. Your position in church indicated your social status and your wealth. And the most expensive pews were right up front, something that might shock many Episcopalians today. (laughs) You generally like to have one or two buffer zone pews between the preacher and the people. But the pews you are sitting in, they were free. We moved these pews in the 1830s from the, or 18, 1930s from the original church. These are important pews. And these pews are why we are in the midst of stewardship season. We ask everyone to make a financial pledge to support Holy Communion because Dr. Robert and your first vestry decided to take a gamble. They thought there should be a seat for everyone in church, regardless of their ability to pay. And Dr. Robert's gamble paid off. The congregation was incredibly generous in its support of the church. And today, you've got a chance to prove Dr. Robert right again. There are pledge cards in your bulletins. But these free pews are a historic sign of welcome. And these days, some of them are a little creaky. In the next months, you'll see that we're going to make some minor adjustments to some of the pews in the back of the church. We're going to remove a row and a half on each side and make a little more room around the baptismal font. We've also ordered a few chairs, nice chairs that will match the pews to put back there. We want parents to be able to move chairs around a little bit so they can have a place to sit while their child plays. Today, this congregation hopes that whether you find yourself in a historic pew or a new chair, you will feel the welcome of Jesus in this place. Jesus' welcome comes as a comfort, and Jesus' welcome also challenges us, like it challenged his disciples. Jesus welcomes us not to simply sit in a serene, quiet church. Jesus doesn't invite us to simply be nice to each other. Jesus' welcome is to join around a table. Jesus invites us to engage one another across our differences, Jesus wants us to discover in those people that we may find the hardest to love, the image and likeness of God. Zacchaeus showed the disciples. Jesus' bet on Zacchaeus pays off. The generosity the rich man shows is incredible. Look, half of my possessions, Lord, I will give to the poor. Half. I've shared this quote with you before at Holy Communion. When I was an assistant at a church in Washington, D.C., my rector, the Reverend Dr. Luis Leon, used to say, money is a powerful tool. If you can give away your money, you have power over the tool. If you can't give away any of your money, it has power over you. I find that true regardless of wealth. 
Generosity can change your perspective on money. There are people with very little who are very generous. There are rich people who have given all their power to their wealth and feel trapped. The opposite is true in both camps. Generosity can change your perspective on money. I hope you value the ministry and community of this church enough to support us financially. But whether or not you choose to give, I encourage you to practice generosity. I think it's fair to say that Zacchaeus surprised Jesus' followers, and he surprised the crowd. They had written him off. They thought they knew all about people like Zacchaeus. Jesus invited them to see more. In welcoming Zacchaeus, he opened the floodgates of the man's generosity. And just as for the blind who were given sight and the lepers who were healed, you get a sense at the end of this story that Jesus' welcome has set Zacchaeus free. The value of welcome, the value of the welcome that we share together, this value taught to us by Jesus, it's dangerous. Jesus' welcome means that you might sit in the same pew with someone who doesn't share your social status. You might share a seat at the table with someone from a different political party or sexual orientation. Getting involved in this church might find you sharing a table down in El Salvador with people who are fleeing violence. At Holy Communion, you are likely to sit with someone of a different race, ethnicity, or nationality. Thank God. Getting involved at Holy Communion might mean discovering that you are friends with people you never would have imagined getting to know. People you never expected may help you to encounter God. When this happens, know that you are in the company of those who came before you in this church, who decided that their pews were open to everyone. And know that you are in the company of those first followers of Jesus who raised their eyebrows when he said, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. Amen.